Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. My name is Adam. I'm the volunteer coordinator here at DHC. We have reached the end of our summer uh, time without our lead pastor, John Garippa, uh, which is, uh, you know, sad for some of us. But he'll be back next week, and uh, he'll be rejoining us next week. He is, uh, I think, watching from New Jersey this uh, Sunday morning. So, John, wherever you are, we wish you a time uh, hopefully well spent. Anyway, uh, we are right in the middle of our uh, series on Peter that we're calling Extraordinary. Now, I got to tell you, I don't know if you're like me when you hear things like this, because, you know, we come up with these series titles about the series that we're talking about, kind of put a box around him, a bow around him. And I just really think we're really scraping the bottom of the series title barrel around here. I don't know if you feel the same way as I do, but I just said it was quite the series title, you know, we're working on. We talked, and I'm going to give you a little uh, look behind the scenes here at the Downtown Harbor Church because we're a multi-layered and faceted organization, but we had a lot of conversation about what this series title would be. Let me give you some of the options that existed. We had from Simon to Peter, which I thought would have been an interesting one. You know how his name changed after his encounter with Jesus. I thought that that would have been an interesting one. There was this idea that we would talk about from ordinary to extraordinary. I thought this was an interesting one. And then one of our creative team members even threw this one out, which I thought was probably had the most legs. Should we give it some thought and some dialogue? I thought this was good. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? And that was... And I'm not making, like, that was a really interesting title, but I thought we might be bordering on copyright infringement. So, I don't know, man, what what a time we're having as we kick off the 9 a.m. service today, aren't we? However, we are going to take a look for the third week in a row at the life of a guy named Peter. And if you've been here for the last number of weeks, you know that we've been talking about this guy. And I would, dare I say, make a prediction. Even if you've never been a part of a local church before, maybe you've never engaged with the local church before, maybe you're new around here, maybe you're new to Downtown Harbor Church, maybe you're back in church for a period of time in your life, maybe you took a break. Peter is actually the guy that we're looking at during this series, and he is one of the greatest followers of Jesus to ever live. In fact, Peter had such a faith and his story was so extraordinary for a pun on the series title that I want you to know that it's true that we may not even be in this room today if not for Peter. Peter was one of those really, really famous Christians to follow after Jesus that I think is one of the most important people to live in the history of humanity. So that takes us to today. Today, let me set the stage for what we're going to do together. Today is actually, and it didn't really start out this way, but it turned into this idea that we would almost have today be a vision message of our church. That today we would talk about this idea of how Jesus leaned into this guy, Peter, his encounter with Peter, and how we at Downtown Harbor Church took that vision forward so that we could engage with and reach a community in downtown Fort Lauderdale. So that kind of sets the stage for what we're going to do during this message today. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, he, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? He goes on. Some say, uh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So Jesus is gathering some of his disciples around. He said, hey guys, who's talking about me and what are they saying about me? 
And a lot, and the disciples respond with a lot of people are saying that you're a prophet, you're one of the famous people who's lived in the history of Judaism, but uh, we're not really sure it's, that's the bottom line of their response. So I started to think about this, and I started to think about who does the average American, if we're to put this forward a couple thousand years and take it into 2023, who does the average American say Jesus is? As we've gone out and maybe we talk to our friends who are not involved in a local church or who do not believe that he is the risen Messiah, who does the average American say that Jesus is? Would they say he's a teacher? Maybe. He, he gave great uh, thought on ideas. He educated people on how they should live. Would they say that Jesus is a teacher? Would they say he is a wise man, someone who expounds and expels wisdom out into a culture that needs to hear it? Would they call Jesus, in fact, a great prophet, right? Would they call him a great prophet? I don't know what uh, people that you've encountered call Jesus and how they name Jesus, but I've encountered all of these things. So Jesus is encountering his disciples and asking this question, hey, guys, who do you say that I am, right? Who do you say that I am? And he goes on. And then he looks, right, right at Simon Peter. So check out what he says to him. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Now, Simon Peter, Peter, right, is famously known for always saying the wrong thing. He's famously known for always stepping in a pile of mud, for saying the wrong thing, for Jesus having to correct him. But he finally, in this moment, right, says the right thing when Jesus asks him this question. And it's so interesting to look at his response. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And here is the verse I was talking about coming up next that is potentially one of the most famous verses in the history of Christianity. I'm going to spend some time on it today. So zone in with me. And if you've heard nothing else so far today, zone into this next verse because this is so important. Remember, Peter, one of the most famous followers of Jesus that has ever lived. And Jesus replies to him and continues and says this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I'm going to read it again because it's so important for us to fix our mind on. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, will not overcome it. Now, if you're like me, you sit back and you go, yeah, that makes sense. I, uh, Jesus believes in this guy, Peter, and in this rock. It, it, we can talk about what the rock is, but he's going to use that to kind of build his church, the future of his church, to spread his movement, to spread his message. This one sentence, one sentence has divided Catholics and Protestants for hundreds of years. Almost since Jesus walked the earth and different denominations of Christianity were formed, Catholics and Protestants have, have battled over this one sentence for years and years and years. One sentence, this, this one thing, this one idea, this one thought have, has divided Christians for, for centuries. And you might be going, gosh, this one, one sentence, 
It's, that's that controversial? Yeah, in fact, this one sentence has been labeled the most controversial in the history of Christianity. Because you, you can look at this sentence and you go, what does Jesus mean when he's saying this? Because Peter, Petros, is actually, as it's translated, actually means rock, Petros. So what is he talking about? But in fact, this sentence was so divisive that if you understand the history of the Catholic faith and the Roman Catholic faith, Catholics actually believe that Peter, the guy we're talking about, was the first pope and Jesus was going to build his church on him. Are you following me? So Catholics, the Catholicism, the history of the Catholic faith, actually believes that Peter was really special, blessed by God. And by the way, he was. Peter was one of the earliest disciples of Jesus. I've already talked about how important he is. The Catholics actually believe that Peter was this uh, almost religious figurehead in their historical faith, and they named him their first pope, which was really interesting. That Jesus was referring to Peter, who was the rock that he would build his church. But Protestants say, hold the phone. Hold the phone here, ladies and gentlemen. Not so fast. In fact, Protestants would disagree with Catholics, and Protestants would indicate the rock that Jesus is referring to is the declaration of Jesus being the Messiah, meaning that the rock would be over here and refer to salvation through Christ, and Catholics would believe that Peter is that human being who is the rock. And Protestants indicate, no, 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 over here is salvation. The fact that Jesus is the Messiah, Peter would help take this message forward, but that is the rock, and that is the rock salvation on which the church would be built. Understand? Perfect. Because it's divided people. You know, I'm glad that the folks here at the 9 a.m. service at the Museum of Discovery and Science got this figured out because it's divided denominations of Christianity for a long time. So if we got it figured out, then I, I'm ready to go home. I don't know about you. But I really believe it's so interesting for us to understand this. And, and, and so we would probably fall at DHC. We're a non-denominational church. And we have talked about this and argued about this and picked this apart. But we would probably fall on the Protestant side of the argument that salvation through Jesus is the rock. And Peter would be an, uh, a messenger of that rock. And the church would begin to grow and form. That's where DHC, kind of us and our leadership body, would agree that that is the rock. But there's a lot of debate and a lot of talk about that because Jesus said a lot of things that people have debated and, and analyzed and picked apart through the years. And then he goes on, or well, let me go back to the verse, right, so as we can understand it again because I want to talk to you about another thing. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So in the original translation, the word used for church was ecclesia. Have you heard of ecclesia before? Okay, ecclesia was interesting. So church and ecclesia were interchangeable in the early translations. Church was a new word. Ecclesia was a Greek word that was used in the original text. And ecclesia simply meant, right? This is what ecclesia meant, gathering or a movement of people. 
a gathering or a movement of people. So in the original text, it was that they were using this word that meant, hey, as people gather, as they think about, as they talk about Jesus, as they kind of spread his gospel to a, word that, or to a world that needs to hear it, that the church word would be interchanged with this ecclesia word, meaning a gathering or a movement of people. So let me ask you a question. Let's do something together as a collective group of folks. Let's think about church for a second. So you're in this room today. You're watching online today. When's the last time you've thought about why? Why are you here? Why are you in this room engaging with others, listening to a message about, as many would say, in America specifically, and I'm going to get into that a second in a second, specifically listening to a message about a dying religion. Why are you in this room today? Um, because if we think about what the Bible says about church, there's a lot of things, specifically in the New Testament, that the Bible talks about that we should be doing in church and we should be functioning together, we should be living life together, we should be engaging with each other. So when's the last time you've thought about why are you here? If the church goes all the way back to one of these original conversations that Jesus had with Peter when Peter identified him as the risen Messiah and Peter being the rock, right, on which Jesus would go forward and create this church. How, what does that look like? Well, the Bible talks about church a lot in the New Testament, which I think is so interesting. In fact, the book of Romans, let me just give you a couple examples. Book of Romans chapter 12, verses four and five says, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we through many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. In the book of Ephesians chapter two, the local church is talked about again, which I think is so interesting. Consequently, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, no longer strangers and foreigners. Doesn't matter where you came from or where you uh, dwelled originally, but you are fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Hold, hold up here. Let, let's go through that again because I guarantee you when you've said yes to coming to or committed to coming to a local church, you didn't view yourself or your involvement like this. It says, but you are fellow citizens of the saints. Fellow citizens of the saints. I'm just sitting in a movie theater at 401 Southwest 2nd Street. Right? I'm a fellow citizen of the saints? That's what the scripture tells us. When you cross the line of faith and you choose to engage with followers of Jesus, yes, it does. And members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, it goes on. Christ Jesus himself, go ahead and go to the next, there it is. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built up together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Wow. That's a mouthful in about the last 12 minutes as I've kind of laid the foundation for what we're talking about today. Jesus has an encounter with his disciples. They identify him as the risen Messiah, which he is and proved that by dying and rising again. And then they begin carrying out that mission to begin that ecclesia, that gathering would turn into being known as the local church. 
So then I started to ask myself another question, and it was surrounded in this truth. I don't know if you know this, but if you've paid attention at all, you probably do. Church isn't very popular these days. I don't know if you've paid attention or you have thoughts on that or you've talked about that with folks who are in your circles. I don't really know if you've given this a lot of thought over a period of time, but I have. In fact, John and I both did, along with a number of other folks who were originally on our church planting team and our staff as we started Downtown Harbor Church, and we started to ask ourselves the question, hey, church isn't very popular, but why? Why is church so unpopular? If, if this thing called the church is supposed to be the light of the world, and we are the followers of Jesus who are called the light of the world by him himself in the Sermon on the Mount, why is it so unpopular? Why do people cast Christians as bigots? Why do people cast Christians as discriminatory? Why don't people want to engage with the local church? What happened? Why aren't people coming in the doors? Why isn't the local church on fire? Why isn't the local church meaning more to people? If it was started thousands of years ago and we're to carry this movement forward and the movement is rooted in hope and peace and love and restoration and making all things new, why? Well, in 2021, a Gallup poll revealed that the U.S. membership, that membership in the United States church has actually fallen below 50% for the first time. The local church is actually hurting itself by the models that they have created through the years. But again, the question goes back, why? Why do people not want to come to church? Why do people not want to engage with church? Why? So at Downtown Harbor Church a number of years ago, before we started DHC, we did an interesting sociological experiment. We got some people together and uh, people who were not engaged with church or who maybe were aversive to church, and we started to ask them, why don't you come to church? Why, what is your hindrance for engaging with the local church? What stops you from engaging with church? What is it? And we put together, based on their responses, five things. Now, many of you in this room have not been around Downtown Harbor Church from day one. There's only a couple of us kind of left who've been here for the number of years that this church has been here. So if you've been here since day one, you've heard these things before, but most of you in this room have not, which is why it's so important for you to understand as we looked at what Jesus said to Peter, as we carried the early church, the ecclesia forward, when we formed Downtown Harbor Church, how did we do this? What did we decide that we were going to do? Well, as we asked people who didn't engage with church why they didn't come, we came up with five things that we decided as reasons that people did not engage with the local church. And what we said was, what was going to make Downtown Harbor Church different than any other church in our community is we were going to take those five things and we were going to take them away, not do them at all, which would hopefully, prayerfully give someone a fighting chance at a relationship with God. And I'm happy to say that throughout our years here together, that we have had seen a number of changed lives because of what has gone on at Downtown Harbor Church. 
If you're new around here and you're wondering, hey, how many folks come to downtown Harbor Church and call us home? We've estimated that there are, based on our roles and how we get people's information, there's about 225 to 250 people that would call downtown Harbor Church home. And our average attendance on Sundays, including our kids who are upstairs, would be around between 140 and 160 people every single Sunday. Some's a little, some a little lower, some a little higher. That's where we are right now in our church, which by the way, if you're new to the area or you're looking to plug in or you're looking to find a community that you could engage with, this is a great size to do it. But going back to the question on the screen right now, why? What did we learn about people when they told us they didn't want to engage with church and what did we take away? The first reason people told us that they didn't engage with the local church was that it was a waste of time. I got things to do, right? I got, I got brunch to go to. I live in Fort Lauderdale. I got the beach over there. There's a lot of things going on in this city. Like this is, going to church is a waste of time. It's especially because it's usually a guy or a gal on the stage who just really kind of pumps their chest up and doesn't really say anything each week. It's just kind of a lot of mumbo jumbo. So at DHC, what we did in response to this, just so you can know how we try to engage with people every week, is we develop this thing called the practical, and we do it each and every week. If you've ever sat in this room and wondered, why do they put the practical up on the screen every single week? We do it so that we hope this is never a waste of your time, that you can hear a message on a Sunday and know exactly how to put it into practice on a Monday. Now, is every message created equal? Probably not. Is every message going to hit you square between the eyes like every other message? Probably not. That's the way the Holy Spirit works sometimes. He'll, he'll call out what's going on in your life, but we wanted to make it this place where this would never be a waste of your time so much that you would want to show up as often as you can every single week. Waste of time was number one. Number two was conditional acceptance. Have you ever seen that sign on a church that says, you are welcome here? You seen that, that sign before, right? I've seen that sign a lot. And you're welcome here until you try to get involved and we find out you disagree with us theologically. That's the absolute truth, which we've seen over and over and over happen again. And what we've said to people here is even if you don't agree with us, us theologically at DHC, and by the way, I'm not sure I agree with myself theologically at times. I'm not like, I'm not sure. I definitely probably don't agree with John. He's way out in left field. Actually, he's not. He's probably one of the most sound theological people I've ever met, unfortunately. Um, but it's it, like the idea that if you don't agree, like maybe you're like, I don't line up with you on that. I don't agree with what you guys would think about that. That's okay. But you know the difference in terms of the sign you are welcome here versus the actual acceptance, which is the almost conditional acceptance, we said not only are you welcome here, the real test of time is, if you don't agree with us on something, what if I wanna get involved? And what we've said is, you can serve here too. 
It doesn't matter necessarily if we're on the same page with everything theologically. We can talk about that. We can build relationships. We can sit across the table. We're probably, again, as I mentioned, not all, all on the same page on every single issue. And we're obsessed with it to the point where people, they go, I don't know that I necessarily think the world was created in, in this period of time. I, and, and, when, and what churches have done is they've stiff-armed people and they've said, no, you can't come in and be involved here. And we've said, we're not even though some may think this or we may think this and you, you can't be involved if you don't. We've said, no, you can be involved where you're at. We want you to engage so you have a fighting chance at a relationship with God. That's why we want you to be a part of Downtown Harbor Church. First one was waste of time. The second one that people told us they didn't engage with church because of was conditional acceptance. The third one is this, too political. One of the things you've never seen us do in the past number of years is talk about politics at Downtown Harbor Church. We won't do it. Why? Because when we do, with the snap of our fingers, we alienate 50% of our audience immediately. There are some issues that are never going to be solved. They are passionate. People care about them. And we are never going to be solving them, particularly on this stage. People have been talking about them for centuries and millennia. And if you think that Adam and John and or Christina or Steve in the parking lot or somebody on the sidewalk is going to solve these issues that people are dealing with for thousands of years and we're going to alienate someone's chance at having a fighting relationship, fighting chance at a relationship with God, you got another thing coming. We don't get political so much that last year at Downtown Harbor Church, it happened recently because we always get asked to get political by people. People indicated to our staff that because we didn't get political on certain issues, that in fact, we were leading people astray because we didn't take stances on this stage. And I sat across from a number of individuals and I said, this is where we part company. You're welcome to come to DHC. We'd love you to be here. But we aren't going to get political on this stage. We're not going to do it. Because you alienate so many individuals when you take a stance. And overnight, we do not take stances at Downtown Harbor Church. We build relationships. Don't you have opinions? Some people might ask us. Of course we do. We're not human beings if we wouldn't have opinions. We don't think, we just don't think that this platform is the right place to express those opinions. We don't believe that things get done here. We believe that things get done in relationship, sitting across the table from people, having dialogue and conversation. That's where things get happen. That's where things happen. That's where relationships are built. And the most important thing to us is that we want people who would walk in these doors to have a fighting chance at a relationship with God. We get political, we lose that chance all day. Number four is inward focused. Have you ever noticed that a lot of churches are focused on themselves? Like they're, they're just focused on what's going on here. They're focused on how uh, they would create more studies or they would create more groups. And by the way, that's not a bad thing, gang. Those inherently are not wrong. But Downtown Harbor Church said that one of the things that we want to do is we will craft our programming. We will craft our, our uh, strategy around those who are not already here that we would craft our, 
our, our, our strategy around those who are not already in this room, that we would try to focus on others in our community, which is why I am so thrilled that at least we're going to start with once a quarter. It's probably going to become more consistent as we get into 2024 that our church is signing up to do things in our community. Last month, we served with Feeding South Florida, and about 20 of our volunteers moved 16,000 pounds of food in one morning. And what I loved about our engagement there was we didn't even know, most of us at least, didn't even know that this organization existed in our community. And next month, when I was talking to Emily about what we would do, there is nothing more prevalent in our community than the beach. We, we go there. It's part of who we are. It's part of why people come to South Florida. So we're just going to go and help clean it up. Something simple. But one of the things that we will probably do there that's really important is meet other people in our community, allowing them to see that, hey, you can go to church and still be normal, some of us. And depends on what day it is and who you ask, but that's pretty standard. And you can hopefully engage with us. We actually had some great conversations with people at Feeding South Florida, and that's going to continue. We try to focus on those who are not already here. And then the fifth thing, which I think is maybe the most important, is that one of the things that people told us they hated about church and more importantly didn't like about Christians was that Christians are fake. That Christians aren't the same people they are here as out there. I just want you to know this, and I want you to be really clear as you understand who we are at Downtown Harbor Church. I truly believe that we are one of the most unique churches in the United States of America. We are filled with strange individuals here at this church. And I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, and that's exactly the way that Jesus would want it to be. Because like, because our strategy is, hey, just come who you are and wherever you're from, like we, we're a band of Muppets. Like we just really are. And I've said that a lot from this stage, that we are a unique group of folks. But I'll tell you this. I'm going to tell you this, we're as, we're as real as you get. We're just not hiding it. That doesn't mean, by the way, that if somebody's dealing with something or some, somebody's got sin going on in their life, that there isn't a support system to help you deal with it and help restoration and redemption happen. We're, we believe in that. We believe in those kinds of things. But we're, in terms of personality, we're just our th we're our who we are. We're, we're not fake. And I think that that's important for folks to understand as they realize who Downtown Harbor Church is as an entity. Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So remember in that first uh, thing that people hated about church, it was called waste of time. And I told you that every single week we put this word on the screen hoping that you will hear a message on a Sunday and put it into practice on a Monday. And this week is no different. So what's the practical? What do we hear and think about a message like this? What are we supposed to be at DHC? You know, a lot of people are coming and checking out DHC for the first time and they're they go, man, I wonder if this is a place I could plug into. I feel like these are decent individuals around here, that these are decent people who love God and love Jesus, yet are just trying to live a cool life in this city to keep it in line and to help meet others and engage with others and lift people up. So if ecclesia is what, is what it is supposed to be, what should church be like? If, if ecclesia, this gathering of people, 
right? If this is what it's supposed to be, what should church be like? I just believe it should be a gathering of people who lean on each other, build each other up during weak moments, celebrate each other during victory moments, lean on each other through life. Life is not easy. Life is not something that is easy to walk through on your own. People need people. Human beings need human beings, which is really at the end of the day why we're here. I have to tell you, I've met some of the greatest people I've met in my entire life as a part of downtown Harborfield. In fact, Caitlin and I have talked about many times, just so you know, being very transparent, we've talked about many times, hey, Fort Lauderdale is nuts. Like, should we, should we move to a smaller sect of this country and raise our family, like, you know, with chickens and, like, like where we can, like, you know, where people aren't, like, you know, mad at you and throwing things at you in traffic and begging you for money and, you know, wanting to shoot you on the corner. Like, I get, like we've had this conversation. And we always say, we're staying here. And the reason we stay here is because of downtown Harbor Church because we found a group of people where we lean on each other. We found a group of people where we pray for each other. We say, talk to me about what you're going out. We want to lift you up and bring those requests before God. How can we pray for each other? What does that look like? We find folks who would worship God together, ecclesia, gathering together, who would come into a room like this on a Sunday uh, and, and would come together and be here as often as they can to serve together, right? To worship together. And then lastly, joining together to serve. This is the local church. This is who we should be. This is what Jesus meant when he said, hey, Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church. We can talk about the word rock all day. But one of the things that was so beautiful about that moment was what was created after that moment, and that was the local church. A gathering of people to be sent out to change the world. Plug in. Get involved here. And if it's not here, find a place that you can call your home. That's how important this is. Raise your children in the church so that they could have people that would engage with them and do the same things. Hopefully having adults that would speak into their life at some point saying the same things that their parents would be saying. Lifting them up, praying for them, for each other, worshiping God, leaning on each other during the hardest moments of life. You know, Many of you know me, but many of you don't know me. So yesterday, um, I traveled to Atlanta, and I had the opportunity to do the funeral for one of my best friends that I had ever had. He's a guy that I knew for 15 years. We had walked up and down the roads of life together. He passed away last Tuesday from cancer at the age of 45. And I, I stepped back, and whenever you have a moment like that, it always causes you to take stock and reflect. And there was a room filled with people to celebrate a life. 
But you know who that room was filled with? It was filled with people from his church. Because his church also extended outside of the walls of a building, as it always should. It was filled from his ecclesia. The gathering around his life centered in Jesus that leaned on him, that he leaned on, that prayed for him, that he prayed for, that gathered together, they worshiped together. It was filled with people like that. I believe when Jesus said that to Peter all those years ago, that this is what he meant. To have a group of folks who would do this together. And no matter what, no matter how got it bad, or how no how bad it got, they would never give up on each other. That's the local church. And as I put this big bow on this, I told John I was gonna do this to get a cheesy laugh. Are you ready? That is extraordinary. Now I just gotta say, now that was cool, right? Let me pray for us. And we'll allow our music and worship team to come up here and close us out. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much for what you said to Peter all those years ago. Thank you for this sentence and word that is so controversial, yet we could take and understand and move forward with, God, we love you. Help us to build this church. Help us to be who you call us to be. Help us to pray for each other, to lean on each other, to worship God together, to serve alongside of each other so that we may spread your message, so that we may tell others about you, so that others may join in what we're doing and God will be so quick to give the glory. Jesus, we pray this all in your name today. In Jesus' name, amen.